Thank you, Brother Tony, for the, inv- the, the introduction, and thank you for the, uh, uh, the invitation to be with you this evening. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you, and I, I greatly appreciate uh, my friendship with Tony. I greatly appreciate uh, the friendship between our congregations and the spirit of cooperation, and um, uh, we're still the, somewhat the new guy in, uh, in Warren County, and uh, um, it's been a, a wonderful experience in these six years, and we, we love the area and love being here, and so many of you that we know and our neighbors and friends, and uh, you've been so good to us, and we appreciate that. And I, I appreciate the, the kind remarks about uh, GBN. Um, that's a, I had, I'm not a television guy. I had never done anything on television before. I tell people I just stand where they tell me to stand and talk when they tell me to talk and shut up when they tell me to shut up. And uh, The worst part of it, they say this camera puts 15 pounds on you, and it Never leaves. It, every time you go, it puts another 15 pounds. Uh, but uh, uh, it's a joy to work with GBN. I believe it's a great, great work in our brotherhood, and uh, I'm glad to be a, a small part of that effort. Um, obviously, as been mentioned this evening, we're going to be talking about giving. You know, it's a subject that uh, we seem to not want to talk about very much, and, and it seems as though maybe we even forget that, that it is a part of our worship. That, uh, that the aspect of worship concerning our giving is to be done in a proper way. <clears throat> Excuse me. I appreciate uh, Brother Fisher's uh, uh, prayer this evening and, and prayer about our attitude toward worship and that we do it not only with the right attitude or the right spirit, as Jesus said um, to, the, uh, to the woman at the well, but also that we do it in truth. And so when it comes to our giving, We need to practice those things with the right heart, the right spirit, the right attitude, but certainly um, in a right manner as well, according to God's uh, God's teaching. Um, Calvin Coolidge one time said, "A person has a person was never honored for what he has received, but but honored uh, honor has been the reward of what he gave." Um, you know, that word gave is such an important word, and we'll close our lesson this evening at the close of our time uh, with that word gave. So I won't, I'm not going to spend any more time on that now, but certainly we need to recognize that giving is a Bible subject. We can go all the way back to the very beginning of time and God's command through, uh, through uh, um, to, excuse me, to uh, those first uh, individuals, and we know specifically with uh, Cain and Abel and their sacrifices and, and what was acceptable and what was not acceptable to God. But giving certainly is a Bible subject. I found it interesting that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that just in those four books, we find the subject of giving 123 times. It's also found in every single book of the New Testament. There is something in each of the books that deals with the subject of giving. So obviously it is, it is of importance. And what's interesting is that it, uh, there's really more in Scripture on the subject of giving than there is most any other subject uh, as far as our, our teaching and practice and so forth. Um, we fail to recognize, I think, sometimes that giving is intended to be a blessing. A number of years ago, there was a, a kind of a strange fellow. I don't know how much he was in this area. A rather strange brother in Christ. His name was Jack Exum. Jack Exum, a peculiar sort of fellow, a little bit odd, but a very, very interesting fellow as well. He did a program, or I say a program, sort of a weekend seminar. It used to be a, um, a Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday uh, seminar, and he entitled that Three Unusual Days. 
And that uh, time of those lessons were all geared toward giving. And it was interesting as he kept tried to keep some uh, data and so forth that uh, after presenting those things about giving, uh, congregations uh, giving would increase. And it was interesting to me and it made an impact in my mind and my life in that those uh, three days of study about giving were about the blessing of giving. He didn't spend any time on, uh, on the, the technical details or anything like that, but on the blessing of giving. And so that really has affected my life and affected um, my, uh, my uh, living and my own personal practice or our own personal practice in our home. Uh, but certainly has affected, as I thought about this lesson this evening. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, reading from the New King James translation, there it says, I have shown you in, shown you in every way. By laboring like this, that you must support the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, we've forgotten that. And, and, you know, I realize that uh, Christmas and birthdays and so forth, we, we all enjoy receiving the gifts. But it's a whole lot more fun now as I maybe, maybe as I get a little older. It's a whole lot more fun to sit back and watch the grandchildren open the gifts and, and those things. And, and, and you know, I, I've thought a lot of times, wouldn't it be grand? You remember some of you who are older, you remember years ago there was a show called The Millionaire. And that show about a man who would give away a million dollars. And each episode each week was about an individual to whom he would give that million dollars. Um, there's been a more recent, uh, some more recent versions of that kind of a show on television. It's also interesting to me how uh, you can look at some interesting information about uh, the, the lotteries and those who win the lotteries and so forth and how it affects their lives. And the majority of those people who uh, win, uh, practice the sin of gambling, um, they don't benefit from millions and millions of dollars. They end up paupers, and it really is sad. And, but if we as Christians, if we'll learn the blessing of giving, and I don't know if, uh, I don't know if God checks your paycheck every week and checks to see if your, your check on Sunday is, is what it ought to be proportionately. I, I don't know if God checks those things. But I do know he checks our hearts. And that really, like all of our worship, and as I said at the beginning of our lesson, that we sometimes forget that giving is worship. And we need to understand that and practice it in the way that we should practice all forms of worship that God has dictated for us. And uh, what did I hit, Tony? I got something. I hit the wrong things. Pardon me. And I'm not an apple guy, so I don't know what to do with it. Whoa, that isn't it. That's last week's lesson. It's not following you on the screen up there. So. Oh, it's not. No, or it hasn't been. Okay, now you. Now we're going to start over. <laughs> so if I use the clicker, will it hit with that? Well, it's not on. Well, it's on a different verse up there than it is here. Does that matter? <laughs> I tell you what, you just preach and we'll 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 follow along. Okay. Okay. All right. No distractions. That's good. There's an interesting concept in the Old Testament uh, that really is about giving, and giving. You know, Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 tells us 
that uh, those things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. And so we ought, we ought to learn from the, those good examples of the Old Testament. And one of my favorite, uh, favorites of the Old Testament is Abraham. I, I dearly love to read about Abraham and see that example of faith that Abraham is to all of us. And what's interesting to me, one of the most interesting in the accounts of Abraham, is recorded in Genesis chapter 22. And there at the very beginning of the text, there Abraham... Um, is tested by God. The very first verse of Genesis chapter 22 specifically says that Abraham was tested by God. I'm reading from the New King James translation. And I did that on purpose because uh, uh, the King James says tempted. And sadly, uh, I think sometimes we maybe don't understand the difference and uh, we need to recognize that God doesn't tempt any man, James chapter 1 and verse 13 and following. But God certainly does test us. Those of you who are school teachers, why do you test your students? Uh, one, I get, I think probably the primary reason, well, I had a teacher answer me just recently, uh, answer that question by saying because the state requires it. Um, I understand that. But teachers, there is a purpose behind your testing. It's to see if the children or your students have grasped the material, see if they've learned the material, and see if they're ready to move on to other material, move on to higher things. God's purpose is exactly the same, I believe. He tests us and knows then by our, the results of our test if we're ready to move on. He did the same thing with Abraham. Let me just for a second say the difference. Uh, uh, Satan tempts us. It's Satan's, it's Satan's desire for us to go down. It's his desire for us to fall. And that's the difference in Satan and God. God tests, Satan tempts. Uh, certainly, James chapter 1 again tells us that that temptation comes out of our own desires. But the point is that God certainly does provide tests for us. And those tests are spiritual tests, I believe, and give us an opportunity to move up, to move on to greater things in our spiritual lives. And so here in Genesis chapter 22, in the, in the text here, it tells us of this test that Abraham was to endure. And in that test, you'll remember he is instructed to take his son Isaac, and it's interesting in verse 2, the, the parallel between God and, or, or the similarity, I should say, between God and Abraham. That God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son. Uh, does that uh, wording ring a bell to you as far as God is concerned? And his only begotten son. And he tells him to take his son and offer him as a sacrifice. I don't know what was going through the mind of Abraham. We know that in Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us that Abraham understood that if he were to take the life of Isaac, that God could bring him back to life. But this certainly was a great test. And you, we don't have time to go into the detail about Abraham and the promise of that uh, child through whom would come uh, the, the, the promised seed, uh, that being the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, but the point is, this was their only son, he and Sarah. I wonder what Sarah thought. I don't, know, I don't know what Sarah knew and what she didn't know. The text doesn't tell us. I can't imagine if Sarah knew what God had required of Abraham that she would have let, him out, let them out of her sight. But maybe I'm not being fair to Sarah. and Maybe her faith was just as great as Abraham. But this is their only child. And God tells him to offer him in sacrifice. Tells him to go to, to Mount Moriah. Uh, I believe that is Jerusalem. I believe it is Mount Moriah where our Lord was hung on a cross. And that's another issue altogether, I guess, another lesson altogether. But there in Genesis chapter 22, notice in your Bibles, in verse 8 in particular, 
And this is very important in our understanding of our giving. Because in Genesis chapter 22 at verse 8, there it says, And Abraham said, My son... Uh, excuse me, I get, I'm getting ahead of myself. Abraham, uh, as he, Abraham and Isaac and the servants are headed toward Mount Moriah, Abraham and Isaac go uh, start up the mountain and the servants stay behind. And you remember Isaac asked the question, Father, we have the fire, we have the wood, where is the sacrifice? And then in verse 8 is where Abraham answers. And there Abraham says, My son. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went, uh, went together. You know the rest of the account. If you go a little bit further in the text, down to, uh, go all the way down to verse 13, it tells us how Abraham lifted up his hand with a knife to take the life of his son. And God stopped him. And you remember that, uh, that Abraham looked and there was a ram caught in the thicket. Surely God did provide for himself a sacrifice. There was the, the, the answer to the test, and Abraham passed the test. The, that important wording, though, that I want you to kind of plant in your mind, God provided for himself. I would submit to you as we think about this topic of giving, God has provided for himself. Because everything you have is God's. Everything you think is yours really is God's. We'll look at, uh, we'll look at that a little bit more in just a moment. But the point is, God has provided for Himself. And we each face a test. We face a test just like Abraham did. How will we use what God has given us? That is the test. And so we need to recognize, one, the reality of testing. But in our giving, that it really is a test that we're facing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, they're beginning in verse six, uh, verses 6 and 7. There it says, But this I say... He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap uh, bountifully. So let each one of us give as he he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or or of necessity, uh, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, we're faced with a test. God, uh, as I said at the beginning of our lesson, I don't know that God checks your uh, paycheck each week or each month, however you're paid. I don't know that God checks that and then checks the amount of, of your check that you put drop in the collection plate or the cash or however you do your giving. Uh, I don't know that God checks those things and has his little calculator, not that God would need a calculator, but, uh, but that, or pulls out his iPhone and checks uh, uh, the tip calculator and so forth. I, I seriously doubt that. But God certainly is looking at our hearts. Jesus taught us that everything, everything we do in life comes out of the heart and proceeds from the heart. And so here is Paul's addressing the Corinthians, and the Corinthian church had its problems. And apparently there were some problems concerning their giving And he, as he speaks to them about the, the quality of their giving. That first, uh, the first part of the verse there of, of first Corinth, or second Corinthians chapter six and, or chapter nine at verse six talks about sowing and reaping. You know, I did, I did a little, uh, did a little searching about that concept of, of sowing and reaping. I found that that concept of sowing and reaping is about, you can find it about 25 times in scripture. Um, the principle of sowing and reaping, uh, about, of those 25 times you find it in scripture, uh, about two-thirds of them are about literal sowing of seed and literal reaping of a crop. Sometimes it's in the positive, sometimes it's in the negative. Sometimes God says you'll sow, but you will not reap. 
Other times he says you won't sow so much, but you'll reap bountifully. So that principle of sowing and reaping is real and true and a principle that we, we pretty well understand. We can go through a study of the minor prophets and we can see the principle of sowing and reaping fulfilled in the nation of Israel, both in the northern kingdom as they are carried into Babylonian captivity, reaping what they've sown, and of the southern two tribes as they're carried off into Babylon, again, reaping what they've sown. They sowed uh, dishonor to God, uh, pagan worship and so forth, and thus they reaped a, a horrible a horrible uh, um, price in, in the wrath of God. Um, in, the, in the New Testament, we understand that principle of sowing and reaping from Galatians chapter 6. And there, in, beginning at verse 7, it says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And, and if I understand correctly, that simply means you can't fool God. This principle of sowing and reaping, as he says, for he says, For whatsoever you sow, that ye also reap. If you reap to the and one who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, those, and those who sow to the Spirit of the Spirit will reap life everlasting. Uh, that principle of sowing and reaping. So the question really becomes, what are we sowing? And are you thinking about the reaping? Uh, we have a, a number of farmers in our congregation. There may be a, a number of farmers here with us as well. They understand that principle of sowing a crop and reaping um, as far as the natural process of things and, and how uh, farming goes and so forth. And I understand there are fertilizers and weed killers and, and all of that stuff, but, but the basic principle is still the same. What you sow, you will reap. And as Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 9, if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. I believe he is talking about the giving process and our giving because he goes on to describe the quality of our giving. First of all, he says it has to be from the heart. As I said a moment ago, everything we do as children of God really has to come from the heart. And that requires a right heart. I, I kind of sometimes I get easily distracted on the issue of the heart. Because I hear people say, well, you know, I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't attend church every week and I don't worship like I should and I really don't live like I should, but my heart's right. They are self-deceived. They are fooling themselves and trying to fool everyone around them because a right heart does right things. You can't live wrong and, and live in sin and willfully be in rebellion to God and claim you've got a right heart. It's just not so. It's not true. You remember back there in Psalm 51 as David is talking about his sin. Uh, Nathan had confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. And you remember as David's talking about his own sin and he acknowledges his sin to God. And David says, God, if it's sacrifice you want, I'd give it. But what does God really want? He wants a right heart. And David goes on to say, put a, uh, put a clean spirit within me. Plant a right heart within me. And then he says, then I'll go offer sacrifice. Sometimes we have in our mind that if we just show up to church, everything's going to be rosy. We can just live as we want. And we forget the principle of sowing and reaping. Because that principle of sowing and reaping affects every part of our lives. It isn't just about our giving. But certainly included in that is our giving. So Paul says that one has to purpose and purpose in his heart. So our giving has to come out of our hearts. 
Uh, sure, we look at uh, financial things. Uh, that's a part of life. But that decision, that purposing, and, and that word purpose is kind of an interesting word because this word purpose, the only place it's used in the New Testament is in this particular verse, 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 9 at verse, at verse 7. So what is purposing? Uh, the Greek word, and I won't try to pronounce the Greek word uh, because we might have some Greek scholars here and they, they would correct me in my pronunciation, but I looked up Thayer's uh, definitions of the word. Uh, the first denotation says to bring forward, to bring forth from one's stores. That's kind of interesting. The second denotation says to bring forth for oneself, to choose for oneself before another or to prefer. And then the last denotation, the third denotation says to purpose. So what does that mean? It has to do with not only the planning of giving, but also how much we're going to give. I don't, uh, that's not up to me to decide for you. I can't give you a specific amount. I can't go to a verse of scripture that says, thou shalt give 10%. But I do know what they did in the Old Testament, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. The second word that I want you to notice there in 2 Corinthians 9, there in verse 7, it uses the word grudgingly. Now let me ask you, just from a, just a, from a practical perspective, um, Father's Day was just a couple of weeks ago, Mother's Day a few weeks before that. Um, my wife just had a birthday. Several of you have birthdays and so forth. We, uh, most all of us enjoy the Christmas holidays and we enjoy the receiving of gifts. But how does it make you feel when someone brings you a gift and says, here's your birthday gift, I felt like I had to get you something? Does that make you feel real good? Well, how do you reckon it makes God feel? When as that basket goes by, you, you hold on to that check or that dollar bill just as long as you can. And I couldn't help but think of the, the Andy Griffith movie. I don't remember or the, the show, which one of them was it that got in the collection basket and got change. Um, I'm surprised some don't actually try that. But, but they want to hold on to that dollar just as long as they can. Is that descriptive of your attitude toward your giving? Do you give grudgingly or do you give freely? Is it a free will offering, if you will? How, what is your attitude toward your giving? Because if, it's, if you begrudge giving it to God, you think He doesn't know? You think He doesn't know what's in your heart, what's going through your mind? And those uh, the time you spend in purposing, planning what you're going to give. The third word, there is necessity. He says not grudgingly and, and not of necessity. The not is not used, the, isn't in the, the second word, but uh, certainly is implied as a part of a continuing and the conjunction and so forth. But the Thayer's, Thayer's lexicon describes the word that is translated necessity as uh, um, imposed either by the circumstance or by law of duty regarding, uh, one, uh, regarding to one's advantage a custom or an argument, a calamity, distress, straits. In other words, do you give simply because you're afraid what people will think if you don't give? Is that why you give? Do you give simply because uh, uh, the basket is passed and you'd be embarrassed if you don't put anything in? Why do you give? What's behind you, the giving? Is there purposing? Is there thinking about it? Does it come from your heart? That really is what it comes down to. The, the, the fourth word, I guess, I've lost count, is the word cheerful. The, the end of verse 7 says, For God loves a cheerful giver. You know, uh, let me go back just uh, to very briefly to that uh, what I mentioned earlier about uh, Brother Jack Exum and those three unusual days. Uh, 
the, the main thrust of that weekend seminar was the blessing that we receive from giving. Um, sometimes we forget that. Um, you know, if, if you, again, God knows your heart. If you think by putting a bigger check in the collection plate that you're going to, to reap uh, um, because you've sown, uh, God understands uh, if, you're so, if you're sowing a sort of, uh, you might say, rotten seed, if you're sowing spoiled seed. What's your attitude behind your giving? Uh, like with our singing, like with our, uh, the, the partaking of the Lord's Supper. And you say, well, I don't joyfully take a, partake of the Lord's Supper. Well, I would hope you would. We rejoice that Jesus died for us as God has asked us to partake of, of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine in remembrance of the death of His Son. And we rejoice in that salvation. We come together, it is command, no question about it. But again, what's our attitude in worship? It ought to be certainly a, that we look at our worship as a privilege, an opportunity to express our gratitude to God. I contend when we understand the salvation that's in Jesus Christ, you can't help but worship when we understand what the Lord has done for us. So when we gather to worship at that particular time in our lives, it is a time of celebration of what God has done for us. It's a time of remembering the salvation we enjoy in Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to our giving, we can't just set that all aside. We, we certainly have to continue that spirit of worship and that we do it in a manner that's cheerful and, and certainly pleasing to the Lord. One of the things that uh, I think sometimes we forget in our giving is the blessing that goes along with it. And, and they go hand in hand. Giving and blessing, they go together. Giving isn't a loss. Um, I saw a definition of sacrifice one time, and, and uh, we need to practice sacrificial giving. Um, but uh, the definition of sacrifice was giving something important to something more important. Now think about that. Um, for most of us, and you know, I, I, it comes to my mind that uh, commercial you see on television, uh, um, it's my money and I want it now. Um, sometimes I'm afraid that's the attitude of our brethren, um, it, it, that, that it's my money. Uh, we don't have time to go, this evening to go into all the discussions about stewardship, but certainly stewardship is uh, our, how we handle the blessings, the material things, and uh, all the blessings that God has given us. How do you handle those things? And Jesus talked in Matthew chapter 6, and sort of, I guess you could say, sort of the, the, the center, uh, uh, textually, I guess, of the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about the blessing of giving. And he talked about laying up treasures. Um, you may remember, some of you... Uh, um, you may remember a dear, sweet brother by, um, by the name of V.P. Black. Uh, did, I don't, did you ever have classes under V.B. Black? Uh, but he's a wonderful, wonderful man and died just a few years ago. But way back in, I think it was the late 50s or so, he wrote a little booklet. Um, and the name of the booklet was Rust as a Witness. Think about that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Um, uh, Brother V.P. Black was uh, quite well known for his teaching on the subject of giving. But he always approached it from a very positive perspective. The blessing of giving. 
And so, as Jesus warns here, uh, I believe uh, Brother Black using those words of the rust as a witness. The question is, is rust, and to them, possessions, uh, they didn't think uh, of just money, everything they owned. They considered uh, those things that were uh, available to to give to God. Under the old law, their giving was a part of everything they owned, not just just what their uh, weekly paycheck might have been. And so we need to recognize that uh, we have an opportunity to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, so that or treasures in heaven, um, and not uh, build uh, necessarily the big bank accounts. Jesus also taught in Luke chapter six at verse thirty-eight. There he said, "Give, and it is given to you. Um, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put uh, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, use it will be measured back to you." Now think about that for just a moment. How is, uh, if, if you were, uh, a big thing in our lives is uh, preparing for retirement. Um, many of you may have uh, um, different uh, kinds of uh, retirement accounts. Some of you may be now living off the income from your retirement accounts. Certainly a good thing to plan for our future. But you, that's just it. You did some planning. What have you done in the sense of spiritual planning in regard to your giving? What kind of treasure have you laid up? Jesus says that when you give, and I believe implied here is when you give with a proper attitude, it will be pressed down, shaken together, and it's overflowing. I can't help but think of the 23rd Psalm. Uh, My cup runneth over. Uh, My cup runneth over because I'm willing to express that uh, that, that, uh, the heart of giving as God would would describe. And so we need to recognize uh, the blessing of giving. In Psalm 24 at verse 1, there the psalmist says, The earth is the Lord's, and and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything is God's. That's what we fail to recognize. Like I mentioned the commercial, it's my money and I want it now. It's not yours. God has only given it to you to handle. I also believe God blesses us directly in what we're able to handle. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 at verse 13 tells us that, that uh, we'll never be tempted beyond that we're able to bear, but with every temptation there will be provided a way of escape. The problem is we don't look for the way of escape sometimes. But it go back to the testing again. We, we are not tempted by God, but we certainly are tested. And how are you doing as far as laying up those, uh, those rewards? Everything that we see here, to, everything is God's. We're simply giving it to use to His glory. So how are we doing in that regard? How are we doing in the area of, of, bless, of that blessing of material things? And what are we doing with those things? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, at verse 2 says, Moreover, it's required of stewards that one be found faithful. Now the first verse, I'm taking that verse out of context a little bit. Um, the first verse talks about the stewardship of the mysteries of God, the blessing of the, the gospel plan of salvation, as Paul uh, repeatedly through his writings refers to those, uh, the, 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 the gospel plan of salvation is a mystery. It's a mystery to those who refuse to look. But there in verse 2 of second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about the fact that good stewardship is a part of being a Christian. Certainly good stewardship of God's Word, but I believe implied there is uh, good stewardship of everything He's given us. So what do we do with it? What do we do with the things that we are given? 
back to the Old Testament in Malachi, the third chapter, God, uh, God through Malachi, accused the, the people of Israel of robbing God. There in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8, he asked the question, Will a man rob God? And yet you have robbed me. But, I, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offering. Tithing is an Old Testament principle, certainly taught long before the law of Moses. Abraham tithed in, as in, in, uh, when he was victorious over the kings, tithed to Melchizedek. The principle of tithing is an Old Testament principle. Uh, really means 10%, but again, it was 10% of all they had. I understand, my understanding that uh, the, the strong, faithful Jews often gave as much as 30%. But the question comes, will a man rob God? The question comes to you and I personally. Will we rob God? And again, you know, you can, you can fool me. You can fool the elders here. You can fool the, the treasurer. You can fool everybody. But you won't fool God. And so by your giving, are you robbing God? When you're purposing about your giving, when you're planning about your giving, is it in your household budget? And... What do you base your giving on? What do you look at in the purposing? Uh, curious question. Uh, just to let it probe your mind a little bit. Maybe you, uh, when you get your check stub, you see that bottom number, the net amount, and maybe you take your giving from that. Shouldn't we really be taking our giving from the gross amount, the total amount we've earned? Why should Uncle Sam get his first? And I know he takes it out of the paycheck. I understand how that all works. But my point is, do you base your giving on the total amount you earn, or do you base your giving on what you get after Uncle Sam gets his? could make a significant difference with our taxes, what they are, and so forth. So think about that in your purposing. Think about the number you use when you decide what you're going to give for you and your family. That it certainly, certainly should be out of, our, out of our gross income. Not out of the net after everybody gets their piece of the pie and the, the insurance company and the state and the, and the federal government and all them. Uh, why should they get theirs before God gets His? Uh, do you base your giving on pre-tax dollars or do you base your giving on after-tax dollars? Certainly is a, is a factor in our, in our giving and, and how we purpose. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the question, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know... I suspect a lot of people don't realize the danger in which they put themselves simply by their giving. And we may do all the other things and, and really fall short when it comes to the giving. I, don't, I can't speak for Tony, but sometimes preachers are hesitant to preach on the subject of giving. Because we can hear the rumors coming from the back of the auditorium. Oh, the preacher must need a raise. Uh, that's not why we preach on giving. We preach on giving because it's just as important as every other part of our worship. It's not a secondary part. It's not a something we just do as an afterthought. It's an important part of our giving, of, of our worship, because it reflects our heart, the tests that we're being given. Part of that testing is about our purposing and our giving. You could, uh, probably most everyone here could recite John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. A couple of really important words there. The word love, for God so loved that He gave. And you see that comes into play with our giving. How much do you love God? 
Do you love God to give uh, what God expects of us? Um, do you do you love God? And uh, how about uh, that test? Are you passing that test? If that if your giving is a test of your love for God, would you pass or would you fail? Uh, I seriously doubt. I think I'm safe in saying that probably the elders are not going to go down through the checks and come and and audit your books. They're not going to do that any more than they're going to try to check. Uh, you know, do you sing? Uh, uh, the words with the right heart and the right spirit? Do you pray with the right heart and the right spirit? They're, obviously, they expect you to do what's right as mature Christians. In James chapter 1 and verse 3, there it tells us that we are tested, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, is what James says. Again, that's from the New King James translation. So again, how are we doing on the test when it comes to our giving? Well, let me just ask you a real simple question as we close. Who fares better, God in your giving or the waitress that serves your meal? Have you thought about that? Uh, I guess what's the standard accepted uh, rate uh, for, for tipping? And, and I'm not suggesting that you lower the tips either. Um, but, but compare that. Do you give the waitress more or do you give God more? Proportionately. Not, uh, not dollar amount per se, but proportionately. Who gets more, the waitress or God? Something that we need to think about. Who are your examples of giving? Is it the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and was disturbed by Jesus' answer to him of what he needed to do for eternal life when he said, go sell your possessions and and, and give it away? Uh, Is that your example of giving? Uh, What about Judas? In John chapter 12, Jesus called Judas a thief. Would you compare yourself to Judas? I certainly would hope not. What about Ananias and Sapphira? I can remember uh, in years ago in, uh, in serving the congregation and, and as you pass uh, the Lord's Supper uh, to, through the congregation, pass the basket. I remember one old man in my uh, young years, boy, he would, I think he went to the bank every, every week and got him a brand new bill and would pop that bill and drop it in the basket. And I don't know his motives, but it certainly made me wonder. That's the spirit of Ananias and Sapphira. And look how they suffered for their show of giving. I hope maybe your giving would be more like that of Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. As Barnabas is an example of selling his goods, selling a piece of property and giving, uh, giving back to the Lord. And back to Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. There's an example of their giving. And God, God saw that Cain's sacrifice wasn't sufficient. And so he, he was distraught and he killed his brother. And it's interesting that the Hebrew word there would talk about quantity as much as quality as far as that my understanding of that Hebrew word. Uh, how about Abraham? Would Abraham be your, give, your example of giving? Is he the one you would look to as he saw uh, uh, long before the law of Moses that God expected um, his people to return uh, a, a portion of their earnings to him? You remember Jacob after his dream and the angel and wrestling with the angel and the ladder that went up into heaven. And you remember his commitment. From then on, he would give 10% of everything that he had. Um, Is he your example or one of these others? Or maybe maybe we could pick uh, the, the poor widow woman as our example. As Jesus taught, you remember how Jesus sat and watched what was being given in Matthew chapter 12. Excuse me, Mark chapter 12. As he watched what was being given, he saw what this woman gave. 
and acknowledge that it was greater than anyone else because she gave all. So how will you do on the test? Will a man rob God? Sometimes we're guilty of that very thing. And so we need to be careful in our giving. We need to purpose properly. We need to look at, at what we're giving and make sure that we're giving with a right heart, that it's not grudging, it's not of necessity, that we're purposing, planning. I think budgeting would be a reasonable word. Um, do you budget uh, how much you're going to give God out of, out of each paycheck? Or uh, if you, like Barnabas, you sell a piece of property. Uh, does that come into the factor? When you uh, sell uh, anything, um, does that come into play? How do you think about those things? Is your worship acceptable and pleasing to God? You know, those tests are there. The question is, how will we do on the test? The most important thing that we can give God is ourselves. In talking about that sacrifice of, uh, that uh, Abraham took his son up on the mountain to sacrifice him and, and that wording that God, uh, God would, uh, pro- would provide for himself the sacrifice. I think it's not accidental that that is Mount Moriah where Abraham is instructed to go. I think it's not accidental that God would give his own son as a sacrifice on that, uh, approximately that same location, same general location. It's not accidental that the word Moriah, my understanding, it comes from a word that means God will provide. Abraham called that mountain Jehovah-Jireh. God will provide. God has provided. We enjoy such bounty in this land. Do we reflect that in our giving? But most importantly, have you given yourself? Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2 are two of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. There Paul says, now I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice that, living sacrifice. And he goes on to say that that sacrifice has to be acceptable to God, pleasing to God. He goes on in verse 2 to say, don't be transformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The most important thing you can give God is yourself. And once you give yourself to God, you'll want to give Him more and more. The more you understand the blessings of being a child of God, the more you'll want to give. Giving comes in a lot of different ways. It comes in the form of the cash in our pockets. It comes in the form of our service to God. It comes in a form of our worship just this evening. God looks at our worship as a sacrifice that comes up to Him as a sweet-smelling savor. And so we must be willing to sacrifice. This evening there may be some here who are outside of Christ. If you're outside of Christ, you, don't, you can't enjoy the blessings that God has. Oh, we live in a bountiful land. It makes it harder and harder to teach people about uh, the gospel of Christ. Because we're so affluent, we just our people don't need anything. And they think they don't need God. Until times get tough. Um, and people kind of maybe are more receptive. But have you given yourself to God? The New Testament teaches us clearly how that's done. It comes by believing that Jesus is the Christ, and that belief, faith, moves us. It's not a miraculous thing, nothing mystical, but faith is always action. Living faith is always action, James chapter 2. And out of that living faith, uh, when we understand the Scriptures and what Jesus taught, what His, his disciples taught, uh, we'll see the need to repent, to change our lives, to be more like Jesus. 
as we offer ourselves in sacrifice. As we offer ourselves in sacrifice, we'll acknowledge it is to God and that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The confession that Paul says is necessary, Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10. That's part of sacrificing self, surrendering self to God, acknowledging Him as Lord. You think about that word, master of our lives. In our understanding of faith, I believe that true faith will drive us to the waters of baptism. Whether it's in a baptistry like here in this building or a pond somewhere or a creek out here in the countryside or I've baptized people in jacuzzis, in hot tubs, I've baptized people in the nursing home and in the whirlpool tubs. It doesn't matter where it is. But faith will drive you to want to be baptized. At least living faith will. That's part of sacrificing self. You know, it's kind of interesting. In the plan of salvation, all of the we refer to the five steps to hear, believe, Um, repent and confess, all of those are in the active voice in the Greek language. Kind of interesting. Active meaning something that that you do. But what's interesting is you have to be baptized. You have to surrender to someone else. It's a surrendering to God. It's a sacrificing of God, uh, sacrificing of self, excuse me, to God. And then in that act of faithful obedience, God promises He'll wash away our sins. It's exactly the way Paul described his own conversion in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. And so the question for you this evening, will you first sacrifice self? Surrender yourself to God. Submit yourself to Him in obedience of faith, obeying the gospel plan of salvation. And upon that baptism, then we begin living a faithful Christian life, continuing a life of self-sacrifice, sacrificing ourselves to God, giving in our worship, Singing in our worship, praying in our worship, studying God's Word in our worship, remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord in our worship. The question is, will you surrender? Will you sacrifice to God? If you're here this evening and you need to respond in some way to the Lord's invitation, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.